0: This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtBase. Are you managing a major art collection but still using something like Excel? Isn't it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art collection. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and then you can use that data to generate professional insurance value reports loan forms, shipping forms, and so much more. They've got a brand new version coming out this month with a fresh new look. So go to ArtBase.com to learn more or to schedule a demo, and be sure to mention ArtTactic for a 15% discount off the entry fee. That's ArtBase.com, A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com. Thanks for listening to the ArtTactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. Here at the podcast, we've focused the last few episodes on the different ways the coronavirus pandemic is impacting the art market, whether it's the shift to the digital space or how shipping and logistics have been impacted. We're going to continue that conversation today, so we're going to chat about certain legal issues, such as force majeure, that have become hot topics across many industries, art included, as this pandemic is really impacting different types of transactions and agreements in a variety of ways. Within the art world, we're seeing art fairs and gallery exhibitions and auctions being postponed or even canceled. Some collectors backing out of invoices, and some shippers are unable to ship artworks at this time. We address all of these issues on the episode and more, and we look at them from a legal perspective, as we're joined by Casey Laffey, Vice Chair of Reed Smith's Global Commercial Disputes Group, and Ian Turetsky, Associate in Reed Smith's Global Commercial Disputes Group. They're both really knowledgeable attorneys, and they provided us with a lot of helpful insights during our conversation. And if you're experiencing any issues that may require legal assistance, you can definitely reach out to them for assistance. So, hope you enjoy the episode and our conversation with Casey and Ian. C and Ian, thanks so much for coming on. I hope you're both doing okay and staying safe during this time.
1: Thank you, Adam, for having us. Thank you for having us, Adam. Uh, We appreciate the time and thank all of you for joining
0: us. Of course. Thanks so much for coming on. So we were talking earlier this week about having the both of you come on the podcast and you mentioned this concept, force majeure. I wasn't too familiar with it. I'm sure many of our listeners weren't. You said it's one of the biggest topics now in the legal world, if not the biggest, because of the coronavirus pandemic. So tell us first, what exactly is force majeure, and why is the pandemic causing force majeure to come into play now in certain instances?
2: Um, As you mentioned, uh, COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the ability of individuals and businesses around the globe to maintain operations and fulfill their contractual obligations. Um, for example, COVID-19 has, ha- has led to the cancellation of art fairs, festivals, ex- ex- exhibitions, gallery openings, and auctions, um, and so on. As a result, the legal issue of the day is whether COVID-19 provides a basis to excuse performance of contracts that have um, been impeded um, as a result of the global health crisis. So to answer, the answer um, largely depends on the application of two legal doctrines. The first is force majeure, and the second is commercial impracticability slash and or impossibility. Um, Starting with force majeure, uh, force majeure is a contract defense that allows a party to excuse performance of a contract if an unforeseen event outside the party's control prevents that party from performing the contract. So does Corona Does the novel coronavirus constitute force majeure and relieve a party's failure to perform? Um, Well, as all things legal, it depends. First, for force majeure to apply, the contract has to contain a force majeure clause, which not all contracts have. Um, You'll typically find force majeure clauses in venue agreements, live performance agreements, and other agreements that generally take longer to perform rather than a one-off sales transaction the second issue is whether the force majeure clause references diseases epidemics quarantines changes in government regulations everything that's been going on um, with the coronavirus as triggering events Um, and so if so the chances that a party would be able to excuse performance are greater um, and the third is really the key, the key to the force majeure analysis. And it's whether the outbreak um, caused the party's inability to perform. So a party typically cannot invoke force majeure if performance is merely economically difficult rather than truly impossible. Um, and where you find, where you fall under that spectrum between difficult burdensome and impossible, um, the more towards impossible you are, the more likely you're going to be able to invoke for for, force majeure. So in other words, economic hardship is likely not enough. Um, Performance of the contract must usually have to be prevented. And finally, um, the final issue on force majeure is whether a party complied with any notice requirements. Um, it's unlikely that a court will excuse a party's failure to notice that a force majeure event has been triggered if they didn't if, if notice wasn't given in the proper form and timely. Um, so that is force majeure in a nutshell. Um, you're probably asking what happens if a seller um, of goods um, or uh, uh, and your contract does not contain a force majeure clause or the clause does not, expressly account for events similar to what's going on with the coronavirus outbreak. Um, And that's where commercial impracticability comes in. Um, Under that doctrine, which does not have to be in a contract unlike force majeure, um, a seller's non-performance of a contract may be excused um, if an unforeseeable contingency makes performance commercially impracticable. What is commercial impracticable? It's a, it's a broad spectrum. Um, it does not, it certainly does not mean um, unwise, difficult or even burdensome to perform. Um, it does mean that the performance could not be, that performance could not be undertaken or doing so would result in extreme or unreasonable difficulty. And that's a very high high threshold. Um, So financial pain, the collapse of markets does not suffice. Um, And so as as an example, it's harder to claim impracticability where um, a venue would have low attendance or a show would have low attendance versus um, the government saying that groups of 10 or 20 or 30 or more people cannot congregate. So, again, it's a spectrum but it is an avenue to excuse performance.
0: Got it. And Casey, can you give us some context or some examples as to how this is actually playing out in the real world right now?
1: These doctrines really have to focus on the context in which they potentially may arise. It's critical, as Ian noted, to look at, do you have a contract in writing that applies to your situation? If you do, does the contract in any event have any language that applies to force majeure impracticability circumstances like this. And of course you have to take into account the particular circumstances of your deal and what industry you are that you're encountering the issue in. Um, We've had a number of clients come to us recently to do some threshold force majeure analysis of their agreements. And where we're seeing this come up most frequently is in the supply chain, um, context, which means someone is required under a contract to produce or transport certain product or goods, and import bans may have caused issues, or flight and transport uh, has become more expensive, or the ultimate place where the goods are being delivered is no longer operating because it's not an essential business under certain government regulations. We've also seen it come up in the medical context where Governments have restricted um, medical testing or other non necessary medical activity because they want healthcare professionals to be focusing on the COVID 19 issues and real medical emergencies. We've obviously also seen it come up in the venue context, as Ian suggested, we often work with. Um, companies that promote live events, such as music and sports, um, events. And we also represent artists who are often signed up to perform in those events. And what do you do if the government is restricting those events from taking place or the economics have made it just too difficult to hold the event. And Ian really stressed on what I think the key point is, and it's, is the event rendered impossible? Or is it simply that the event has been rendered more difficult or more expensive? And that is really the key driver when you're talking about force majeure or commercial impracticability. If your product can still be delivered and nothing on a government level or a regulatory level is preventing that product from being delivered, um, force majeure is not likely to apply unless your language in your contract has been written in a way to protect you from those circumstances. So one of the sort of takeaway themes that we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast is some things that you should think about going forward when constructing your deals and making sure you have a written agreement in place and having a lawyer take a look at it to make sure it's drafted in a way that best protects you is very important. And that often is not an overly expensive exercise. I think too often, um, business owners uh, don't want to reach out to legal because they think it's going to be too expensive of an endeavor. But most of these force majeure analyses that we're doing, we can simply review an agreement, potentially draft a clause with an hour or two of work, and it's not an overly expensive endeavor for a client and can really save you real money down the road and could really avoid real legal issues down the road, which do become very expensive if, if you end up in litigation. So um, you need to have a contract. You need to look at what the clause says, and then impossibility versus expensive or difficult is really going to be the key driver.
0: Well, that's really helpful explaining to us force majeure and to what extent and how it's being applied in the real world right now. Within the art world, there definitely is a reputation, which I think is accurate, that it isn't as diligent when it comes to contracts and agreements. Um, But, you know, I think some of the major issues we're seeing in the art world include Art fairs, gallery exhibitions, museum exhibitions, auctions being postponed. I think that can have ramifications on sales for galleries. It can have a negative impact on artists who are expecting big museum shows to help take their career to the next level. Sellers in auctions who are expecting to be paid within a few months, that's all been pushed back. I think also we see a lot of shipping of artworks that were supposed to happen that's been delayed so people have artworks really scattered all over the world um, and that can slow down or even stop a transaction and also we have art storage facilities many of which are closed indefinitely oftentimes when people buy things privately if the artwork's in a storage facility they want to look at it in person or they want to have someone do a condition report and that is much less likely to be able to occur at this point in time and so all these things are having impacts on people and transactions how might force majeure or the impracticability concept factor into some of these things and when might it not be applicable
2: i think using the example you raised of um, the the problems which people are encountering with shipping um is a great is a great example um whether force majeure and impracticability would apply to um, excuse non-performance or to excuse one party's inability to get a, a piece of artwork they promised to provide to another party um, would be depend, would depends on why the um, shipping is unavailable. Is the shipping unavailable simply because the costs have increased um, because of the precautions uh, people have to take because of demand? Um, because of government regulations and duties, or um has shipping is shipping the goods impossible because you do not have no longer have a shipper um out there in the marketplace that can um, safely transport artwork from point A to point B if it is the former circumstance where it's just more difficult. More costly, um, the doctrines are more unlikely to apply to excuse non-performance. On the other hand, where you where a party simply cannot find a shipper that can send the artwork without um, risking damage, then um, then the doctrine is more likely to apply. Um, so it depends on the individual circumstances of of each um, factual scenario. Um, and at, like I mentioned earlier, everything is on on the spectrum. Um, if you look at the individual uh, context that you mentioned, where there's a, um, a, a private sale of a piece of artwork, and the individual one of the individuals no longer wants to go move forward with the transaction, well, that's going to be very difficult to get out of that um, contract based on force majeure, because um, the doctrines don't really care about liquidity or whether the transaction is now financially um, wise or the, if it's a great investment. Um, the, the, the doctrines really care about whether or not it is possible to move forward. So every circumstance needs to be looked at individually. Um, more, some scenarios are more likely to um, be able to lend themselves to invoking the doctrines. Um, while while others, um, it's going to be an uphill battle.
0: One thing I have discussed with a lot of collectors and some galleries over the last few weeks is that we had a very strong economy and strong art market over the past few years. And when someone said they were going to buy something, they'd get invoiced invoice from the gallery or they'd get an invoice from the seller if it was a private sale. And almost always, that invoice would be paid. But now, certain purchasers' financial situations have changed we have the decline in the stock market, and there's so much uncertainty surrounding the virus and how it may impact the economy over the next few years. We're hearing more and more stories about collectors not paying some of their outstanding invoices, maybe invoices that were issued to them right before COVID-19 really took off, and we saw this major change in the economy and the markets. Does force majeure or the impracticability concept apply to an outstanding invoice? And if it doesn't, I guess, what's the recourse of a seller or a gallery? Maybe they have a legal justification to do something, but I guess there's also a commercial component to consider with actually enforcing these invoices and if you actually want to bring litigation against someone to force them to pay them.
1: I can, I can take that one, Ian. Um, th- those are great questions, Adam, and I can certainly see how many of your listeners are encountering those very issues right now and on a day-to-day basis. And I think the answer to your question is it depends on the exact circumstances but but look you don't have to have a written agreement for there to be a valid contract in place so if if two parties agree that artwork's going to be exchanged on a certain date and for a certain price and an invoice is issued consistent with that you, you typically will have a legal agreement even if it's not in a signed writing and if one party is Um, claiming that they can no longer uh, perform that agreement simply because they're suffering financial hardship and can't afford to carry out the contract, that's not going to be the type of situation where force majeure or commercial impracticability would excuse performance. Um, But there is a certain commercial real-world reality here that I think we all need to think about when dealing with counterparties and clients, which is, in that scenario, Maybe you don't want to just run to get a lawyer involved and try to enforce your agreement. Maybe a conversation is better with your counterparty, and maybe they will ultimately close the transaction, but they need a little more time to deliver the payment because everyone's under some tough economic difficulties, and you may want to consider the business sort of practical approach of trying to resolve some of those scenarios. A different scenario where the doctrine would apply would be, let's say you've agreed um, to provide a certain amount of artwork for a large um, venue, such as you know a large event at Art Basel or something like that, where as a result of government regulations, large-scale events have been shut down legally by the government. Well, performance likely would be excused in that scenario because it's an act outside of your control by the government that has prevented performance of that agreement from happening. So that's different from my personal financial situation has just become more difficult that I don't want to perform or it's harder for me to perform as opposed to legally because of the government I cannot perform. And, you know, when it comes to whether you have an enforceable agreement or not, and those basic issues, you know, I would again give a plug to at least just have a short conversation with your counsel, and we often will do free consultations with our clients on these very issues, which can help you really frame how you're going to deal with the situation moving forward, and also to maybe look at your agreements if you are considering written contracts on the front end to avoid those, those type of disputes. So really think about your particular deal. If you can, it's always better to document things. Um, If you can't, feel free to consult your lawyers. And Ian and I are always happy to have those conversations. And also really just look at the business aspects. Like I said, it, it might be more efficient for you to at least from the first instance try to work it out on payment terms with your counterparty before pursuing legal options but um, the answer to whether force majeure is going to apply generally is is going to be driven by as we said before is performance really rendered um, impossible as a result of an act outside of your control or is your performance merely more expensive? And if it's the former, the doctrine likely will excuse performance. If it's the latter, unless you've protected yourself some way through the language of the contract, the doctrine is not likely to apply. So Ian, you may have a couple of things to add to that, but that's generally how I would answer your question, Adam. Yeah, the the only thing I would add to that um, is Adam's helpful
2: question about um, invoices and whether the invoices would it would itself constitute a binding agreement? Um, as, as Casey mentioned, um, just you know first principles in order to have a binding agreement, you need an offer, um, acceptance and consideration, which is what the, some, an exchange of something of value. Um, typically, um, you imagine that process being documented in a full long form, Agreement with lots of legalese and lots of uh, lots of words and, and a signature page at the end. Um, while that's helpful, um, the commercial reality um, sometimes is where it's not going to happen. So, an invoice generally is not a substitute for a um, long form agreement. Um, as as, um, as that, uh, an invoice is a. Unilateral step that somebody will issue independently. It's not um, a joint document evidencing both parties' assent to the terms. Um, That being said, um, if you have correspondence in text messages, in emails, um, even the exchange of offers on a cocktail napkin, um, anything that would evidence a party's Uh, offer of a given price for for an item whether it be a piece of artwork or or a venue um, and the other side acceptance of that um, uh, of that offer um, you'll have a deal and you'll have a binding promise and once you have that binding promise you then can make that commercial determination does this make financial reputational business sense to enforce that agreement or do you want to look for a workaround or other other ways to accommodate um, uh, the, the business dispute?
0: Well, it feels like the world has stopped because of this pandemic. There are still transactions. There are still people trying to reschedule events and things like that. If people are initiating contracts or agreements now in the midst of this pandemic, what would you say are one or two things that parties should be considering, given that maybe performance of certain aspects of the agreement may be delayed or not even possible at all because of the ongoing pandemic.
2: I will say that um, the, if if folks are entering contracts today, they unless um, they they have to be made very clear um, in written agreements. I would say um, about contingencies um, for the non-performance. You. If you enter into an agreement knowing that the, there's uncertainty in the world today regarding um, closures of buildings, shipping, logistics um, issues, etc., you will unlikely be you'll likely be unable to invoke the doctrines because you are aware that that there are foreseeable risks that you can account for in your written agreement.
0: That's interesting because within the art world, for example, art fairs that were postponed, they're being rescheduled. And there are distressed collectors that need to sell art quickly at a discount because they need cash. So there are still things going on now in the art world, even though museums, galleries, auction houses are physically closed.
2: Certainly. uh, Casey and I um, have dealt with a client facing the issue where where they had a, a major conference scheduled for... The end of October, um, and they were in a state where the governor um, issued a stay-in-place order only up until the end of April. And the question was whether the um, promoter was able to get out of that get out of that contract under either force majeure or impracticability. Um, and it's unlikely um, they'll be able to do that because we don't know what. It's going to be in store at the end of October um, there is no actual impediment today for um, anything um, taking place in October and as I said the the possibility that the event in October is going to, is going to have less um, visitors or less foot traffic or, or, or not be as economically viable is not necessarily an excuse for not for not moving forward. Now of course the situation changes and the um, stay-at-home orders get extended through October. Well, that 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 situation changes, the, the circumstance changes, and the doctrine is the doctrines are more likely to apply. And if parties are entering into agreements today, it's very hard for them to claim that um, a pandemic or a government shutdown was something unforeseeable and not in their control. So they should make sure that their their deals make make special um, notice and for all the contingencies that can happen.
0: We haven't had a pandemic like this in the U.S. or in Europe for a very long time. Hopefully we don't again. I know it isn't over yet, but what would you say are some of the lessons learned going forward? What has the pandemic taught us so we may be better prepared if it ever happens again?
1: Yeah, I can I can take that, Ian. It's a great question, and some of these have already been sort of themes we've stressed today, and I think wherever you can, and I know it's sometimes difficult, particularly in this industry, um, you should paper your deals, and that can really be as simple as, as a one-page agreement um, with some of the most important terms. Um, like I said, a, a basic agreement like that is not particularly expensive for council to prepare, so whenever possible you should always consider papering your deal, um, including to account for a provision for unforeseen events like this, um, not only where performance may be suspended through a pandemic or an act of government, but where performance may be rendered extremely expensive, where the benefit of the entire bargain that you're looking to achieve may be turned upside down. So just reviewing and including basic force majeure type clauses is important Um, we also as a takeaway want everyone to be thinking about if you have a contract and it does contain force majeure type language i guarantee you there's going to be a notice requirement in there so if you are invoking force majeure you're likely to have to provide some form of written notice to your counterparty explaining exactly what has happened that has caused you to have to invoke the force majeure clause and you have to send that notice in a particular manner. So feel free to make sure that you review those clauses, feel free to make sure you call your counsel to do the quick review of those notice provisions um, so you're on the same page. Um, and you know, please, you can feel free to call Ian or I anytime. Our, our information is on reedsmith.com, um, and we could also, if it's a smaller type deal, we have some some folks that we work with at smaller shops as well that would be happy to handle some of these issues. So, and then I'll just leave you with the the economic, real world suggestion that I had earlier. Um, don't be afraid of having conversations with your counterparties. I mean, some of these folks are people you're going to want to deal with again when the pandemic subsides and think about how they're gonna view how you're treating them right now. And relationships are very important to any business. So it might be better to try to get on the phone and work out some amended terms before you get the lawyers involved. And that's something they're going to remember the next time um, you do a new deal and you're working with that gallery and, and they are in the need for a supplier to give them new artwork, they're going to remember you, they're going to remember that you helped them out in a time of need, and hopefully vice versa. So consider the real real world conversation aspect, maybe it's someone will pay just need a little more time. But if you need to go the legal route, we're here to help you. And we can do it on a pretty efficient manner. And that doesn't mean you have to bring a lawsuit. Um, Another example is we could send a very short, uh, pointed and strong letter uh, to your counterparty invoking certain protections in the contract or if you don't have a contract under common law doctrines. And that simple letter and the threat of a lawyer involved may achieve the purpose of what you're looking for. So, don't think that simply by calling a lawyer it means you're going to be engaging in, you know, a lawsuit that you know results in tons and tons of legal fees. That may not be the case. It may be a simple couple of hours of work, which might save you a lot of money in the long run. So, those would be my main takeaways, Ian. You may have others. Um, but but Adam, I'm happy to answer other other questions. And thank you so much for having us.
2: Yes, thank thank you for having us, Adam. I would just stress what um, Casey mentioned about trying your best to paper your deals. Um, They allow you certainty going forward as to what what the party's expectations are. So, whether or not you're planning on enforcing those rights is a question of commercial reality um, in the cost-benefit analysis, but having that certainty goes a long way.
0: Ian and Casey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us about Force Majeure, as well as some other very interesting and important legal topics that are especially pertinent right now during this pandemic. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights. Thanks so much again.
1: Thank you for having us, and I hope everyone is staying safe and really best of luck during these trying times with personally and with your businesses. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks so much for ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Are you managing a major art collection, but still using Excel? Isn't it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to help you out and manage your art collection. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks in an easy-to-use but powerful database. You enter your data once, and then you use that data to generate professional insurance value reports, loan forms, shipping forms, and so much more. They have a brand new version coming out this month with a fresh new look. So now is the perfect time to visit ArtBase.com to learn more and to schedule a demo. And be sure to mention our Tactic for a 15% discount off the entry fee. You can visit ArtBase.com. That's A-R-T-B-A-S E.com.